0: The following is a Westminster Seminary, California morning devotion given by a guest speaker, Rev. Eric Landry, pastor of Christ Presbyterian Church in Temecula, California, and executive editor of Modern Reformation magazine. The scripture text is James five thirteen through 20 The views and opinions presented in this message are those of the speaker and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about Westminster Seminary, please visit us online at www.wscal.edu or call us at 888-480-8474. That's online at www.wscal.edu or call us at
1: 888-480-8474. We pray with me. Father, we come this morning just to take a brief time away from papers, from studying from our normal everyday lives that are so not normal not everyday when compared to the lives that the people live outside of the church people that even we minister to within the church help us to treasure these few fleeting moments that we have together not even this morning but through this time of study it's in christ's name we pray amen you may be seated i have a confession to make before i get started here uh and it's a Fairly startling confession considering my denominational affiliation, but I am not a good joke telling preacher. And that is a uh, bad thing to be when you're PCA, you know. Uh, But I do have one that I like quite a bit, and it's one that has come in handy for any number of uh, preaching opportunities that I've had. And it's about this news bureau chief who has been assigned to Jerusalem. Uh, He has Gone to Jerusalem to uh, report on all of the news emerging from uh, the Palestinian Israeli conflict. And as he's been doing this, the uh, editor back in New York writes him and says, You know, we need a human interest story. Uh, Can you find something and report back something that is not so dire? so he uh, happens to have this apartment that overlooks the Wailing Wall. And so he goes down, and he sees this old rabbi who every day is there three times a day. And he's there multiple days, and he finally stops him and asks him, he says, you know, sir, what are you praying for when you come and pray? He says, well, in the morning I pray for world peace. In the afternoon I pray for my nation. And in the evening I pray for my family. He says, and you do this every day? Yes, I've been doing it every day for 30 years. He says, my goodness, that's amazing. What does it feel like to be praying like this for 30 years, three times a day? And he says, honestly, it feels sometimes like I'm praying to a wall. Like I said, I'm not a good joke-telling pastor. Now, why do I like that illustration, that joke, so much? I think it's because it is brutally honest about the frustration that deeply pious people feel Because even Christians can identify with that Jewish rabbi's sense of loneliness in prayer. And identifying with that joke allows us to speak openly and honestly about something that can often be crippling for Christians. Crippling in the sense that they doubt the sincerity of their faith if they have difficulty praying. Crippling in the sense that it might even cause them to doubt the maturity of their pilgrimage if they wonder why, after so many years of discipleship, they still run into these brick walls whenever they have difficulty praying. My church is filled with people who have difficulty and are frustrated by prayer, and I am chief among them. Prayer is, for many of us, the spiritual exercise that they hate to love. That is, they often know that they should pray, They know how to pray. They even want to pray, at least sometimes they want to pray. But the actual act can be difficult, it it can be confusing, and it's very often not nearly as meaningful or earth-shattering as some of their more pious friends might lead them to believe. And so prayer, for a lot of people, becomes a means of discouragement rather than a means of grace way that Christ pours his strength into us to equip us for this earthly pilgrimage. I want you to take a look with me at the book of James this morning, James chapter 5. As James concludes his epistle in, this, in the final verses, verses 13 through 20 of James chapter 5, I think that he gives us three instances where a Christian's faith becomes a very real thing in everyday life. And it's interesting that two of those instances include prayer. Let me read for you verses 13 through 20. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain. And the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. James recommends prayer and praise in different circumstances of life. He recommends prayer for healing and for spiritual restoration. Prayer even one for the other. And I think even in this third expression in verses 19 and 20, you could arguably say that that also includes prayer in the process of restoring a brother to the faith. Now, this morning, we really only have time to look at the first example in verse 13, but I want you to see as we look at this example and see it applied in these other examples as well that prayer mediates the presence of God in our everyday pilgrim faith. Prayer mediates the presence of God in our everyday pilgrim faith. How does that happen? Well, look at the question that James asks in verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? It's a very practical question. It's a question that your doctor might ask. It's a question even that your accountant might ask. Are you suffering? James gives what is a very impractical answer when considered from the world's point of view. It's the sort of impractical thing that you would expect a minister to say. Well, you need to pray about it. You need to go to God in prayer. Well, that's great, James, but what do I pray for? Well, you can pray for relief from the circumstance, which causes you suffering. You can pray for strength in the suffering. You can even pray that God would be glorified in your suffering. But the implication of James' exhortation is that if we do not pray, we reject God's presence in the midst of our suffering. Prayer recognizes God's powerful presence in our suffering, in any situation, really. If we do not pray, we are telling ourselves and we're telling others that either God does not care about my suffering or God is powerless to do anything about my suffering. Now, if you don't think that Christians struggle with this sort of reasoning, with this sort of attitude, then I would doubt that you have really stared into the abyss of your own suffering and despair. Perhaps, unless you have been rescued by the God who is there, despite all evidence to the contrary, you will have a difficult time convincing your congregation that prayer is more than just a religious platitude. And James jumps. At the end of verse 13, he goes to the opposite end of life spectrum. Is anyone cheerful, he asks. James then says, sing praise when life is good. What is praise except another kind of prayer? Our songs of praise are prayers themselves as we extol God, as we worship God. Prayer doesn't always have to include petitions. Sometimes it can be simply adoration. Prayer through praise is an important and appropriate response to a good life. Why? Why? because it tempers our temptation to self-reliance, to saying that all the good things in my life come about by the hard work of my own hands, by my own situation in life. And it's interesting that Calvin, when he comments on this passage, picks up on the implicit promise of James's exhortation when he says, "...there is no time when God does not invite us to himself." Afflictions ought to stimulate us to pray. Prosperity supplies us with an occasion to praise God. Did you catch that? God uses our prayers in every circumstance to reveal himself to us and to invite us to himself to help us to know and to experience his presence. But I think it's exactly that idea of God's nearness... His presence that we find so difficult to comprehend. And I think that's what makes praying so hard sometimes. Sometimes we significantly feel and know God's presence, those all-too-rare mountaintop experiences. But sometimes we stare into the darkness. We wonder how God could be even farther away than he seems at that very moment spectrum or one spectrum two opposite ends my congregation is filled every Sunday morning with people at one end or the other and eventually your congregation will be filled with those sorts of people too what will you tell them I think the first thing that they need to know is that prayer is not a cathartic emotional experience we do not pray to make ourselves feel better in a difficult situation And you dare not speak of prayer in that way or in a way that would make them think such a thing. Neither do they pray or do we pray to manipulate the deity. Prayer is not a divine currency that we spend to try and get God to do things for us. Instead, assure them that prayer, that impractical thing, that weak, that foolish thing, that instrument of a theology of the cross... In prayer, God is actively communicating himself to us. Christ's heavenly life, his strength, like we just sang in verse 3 of the hymn, his strength is being poured into us when we pray. The high priest who mediates our prayer is also the sacrifice that makes our prayer effective not only in heaven but on earth, as our Lord taught his disciples to pray. I always struggled with when I began learning about the means of grace in my first year here, why the Westminster Divines would include prayer as a means of grace, alongside those more objective things like the preached word and baptism and the Lord's Supper. And I think this is why. Because in prayer, God gives us himself. It is not so much our act as it is God's act. And that in itself is comforting to our people. They're comforted because they will know that God invites us to himself, whatever our situation in life. Notice that in 13 Paul or, uh, James does not say if anyone, uh, is anyone among you suffering for righteousness sake? Is anyone among you suffering for persecution? Is anyone among you suffering because you're the only Christian in your family? I think that suffering can be at the hands of our own sin, at the hands of our own unwise, foolish choices. But no matter what our situation, God invites us to himself. The second thing that should give you, that should give your people comfort, is that our pilgrim journey is not self-propelled. God has not wound us up and then let us go with a prayer merely to give us a course correction every now and then. But prayer is a means of grace. It is a way that God gives us his strength. And that means that we are free to pray. For prayer doesn't become for us just one more spiritual exercise. But prayer truly is a means of grace. We do not use prayer to dress up our meager faith with fancy words, with lofty ideas. But instead, prayer strengthens us in whatever situation, whatever season of life we find ourselves in. So that we can believe the promise of prayer. The promise that God in Christ is near to his people when they call on him. It is 1020, and I have been a student. So let us pray. Father, thank you that when we come to you, we do not speak to a wall, but we speak to a living God who actively gives of himself to us, poor, miserable, wretched, blind sinners that we are, We can offer nothing in return, but we feast on these words of life. Give us strength this day and every day. For it is in Christ's name we
0: pray. Amen. Copyright 2007 Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this broadcast on our website is preferred.